Good evening, everyone. We're going to begin our Lenten series, so we'll be breaking from Matthew for six weeks. So we'll be in Psalm 3, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. O Lord, how many are my foes, many arising against me, many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my foes on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Our hearts are stringed instruments. Do you know that? You've heard uh, you've heard the saying um, that something tugs on your heartstrings. Yeah. So we, our hearts can be plucked like a guitar and resound with music. That what's crazy is that there are many musicians in this world that want to pluck your heartstrings. They want to tug on them, pull on them. And not all of them are going to make harmonious, beautiful music. Yeah. You know, I never talked about it. You can take that off. Sorry. Yeah. That was our, um, that's the uh, picture of Jesus being tempted. It's made all really quick. Yeah, okay, it's gone. I love the, no, it's too late. The little miniature devil, like the devil's just so puny. It's my favorite part of it. And I love just how simple that one is. So. Oh, it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> you want bread? Jesus like, eh, go away. <laughs> Jump down. Eh, come on. And then he's standing on the hordes of treasure. And then I just love how the devil's like, he's, he's derobed and he's cast down. You see that? And then the angels are there ministering to Jesus. So I just thought it was cool, though. It's just the, the way so much can be said in just such a little thing. Like, the devil's a puny little guy. Just say no to him. He can't resist. Anyways. Okay. Thanks, Tyler. Um, yeah, where were we? <laughs> um, there are many musicians who want to pull on our heartstrings. Um, but no musician can make our lives resound with the music of heaven like God can. Right? God wants to play us, and he wants to play muse, heaven's music through us. So what we want to be concerned with is what plucks our strings. Um, and here's what's really cool. The word psalm actually means striking or twanging as in the chords of an instrument. That's what psalm means, to strike or to twang, to pluck, to tug. Uh, so when we talk about praying the psalms, as we pray the psalms, they pick our heartstrings, they pluck them, and they cause us to become instruments of God's music. That's what the psalms are there for. They're there to train our heartstrings to be pulled and plucked and played, not by the chaotic forces that are vying for our hearts, but by God himself, so that we can become melodies and harmonies and, and musical symphonies of God's kingdom. Isn't that cool? That's, that's literally how people see the Psalms historically. And I, I want us the six weeks to, we did, I think a couple lengths ago, we did a study on prayer and we called it, um, becoming all fire. Um, this one is obviously going to be prayer because it's the Psalms, but this time we're going to focus in on praying the Psalms and particularly picking six. So, um, but, but back to like literally like the idea of like the Psalms be, make us become 
musical sounds and melodies to God. It brings our lives into harmony with his instead of clashing and making something ugly. Uh, John Chrysostom, you guys know by now, like the fourth century preacher in the Byzantine capital, Constantinople, um, he, he put it like this. This is, he said that the Psalms permeated every aspect of the church in the fourth century. And it's a much longer quote, but I just kind of picked some parts to get to the point. He said, if we pay attention in church, David, the, the Psalms, David comes first, last, and central. Interesting that, like, at his time, the church, you go to church, you pay attention, the Psalms are everywhere. All other men at night are overcome by sleep. David alone is active and gathering the servants of God into seraphic bands. That's so cool. Angelic choirs, that means. Seraphic bands. He turns earth into heaven and converts men into angels. That's what the Psalms of David do for humanity. So all other men may be asleep, but the Psalms keep on going. And if we let them pluck our heartstrings, wow, we become God's instruments of heaven on earth. That's so cool. So, um... We're going to get to know six psalms. Um, these are psalms. Now, you guys, a lot of you, if you're on the email list, you already got the psalms emailed to you in this nice poetic translation of the psalms, which we were singing and reciting earlier. Um, uh, the, the, there are psalms three. Who, who has them memorized, by the way? <laughs> there are psalms three, 38, 63, 88, 103, and 143. So we'll begin with three tonight. Um, there are some interesting traditions about these six. Um, one is that um, our guardian angel will be praying or singing these six psalms over us at the great judgment. Now, you know, heaven knows if that's real, right? But it's an interesting tradition. It shows you the way people see these psalms, right? Um, another one is that God will judge the whole world in the span that it takes to pray those six psalms as they're prayed over us. So the idea is like these are psalms that lead us to repentance to God. And so that at the day of judgment, as these psalms are sung over us, it's like we already know our judgment because we have been living a life of repentance before God. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. Uh, these psalms track and trace the the joys and the sorrows of the Christian life. You're going to see both mixed in. Uh, but some psalms are going to be more about sorrow, like 88, and more about joy, like 103. And that's actually a really cool interplay, because 88 is the point at which um, it's it's Christ hearing our cry, and he descends to the depths of sorrow. He even descends to Shul to rescue our cry and our need. And then Psalm 103 is in the triumphant, Bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, he who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Uh, it's just like right there. like It's almost like the resurrection psalm, if you will. Um, and then 143 is a, it's a prayer about guidance because the foe is so real. The enemy is so real. So like Christ came to us. He rescued us. Now lead us. Be our refuge as we go forth in the wilderness of this life. The first three are going to be, you know, set their own tone. As you guys know, because we've, we've read it now, we've prayed it, we've sung it. Um, psalm 3 is a dire psalm. Like this guy is, David is in a dire situation. Um, so it's going to set the tone off. Boom. We're going to hit the ground running. Literally, he was running from Absalom. That's what this psalm is accredited to. He's running from... We are hitting the ground running. So, um, 
these three psalms just basically, again, or these six, encapsulate a lot of what the psalms are about. So they're just good six ones to kind of hang our hats on. And um, so I just want to share what Martin Luther said about the psalms. You may know that he translated the Bible into German for the people because they didn't have the Bible in German. And in his preface to the Psalms that he translated, he said this. He said a lot of good things in that, but this is one highlight. The Psalter. Now, when I say Psalter, um, that means all 150 Psalms, okay? So from here on, Psalter is the entire Psalms. The Psalter should be precious to us if only because it most clearly promises the death and resurrection of Christ and, pres- and describes his kingdom and the nature and standing of all Christian people. And we'll see that in these six psalms. It could well be entitled a little Bible, since everything contained in the entire Bible is beautifully and briefly comprehended in the psalms. It seems to me as if the Holy Spirit had been pleased to take on himself the trouble of putting together a short Bible. That's the Psalms. Now, some of that doesn't resonate with us initially. You look at the Psalms and you're like, there is a bunch of like cries of despair and occasional happy clappy praise, but I'm not seeing the whole Bible here. Um, but the more you learn to pray the Psalms and go through the Psalms regularly, you start to catch this rhythm and, and the depth that is communicated within the lines of the Psalms. And, um, I'm beginning to understand what Martin Luther means when he says it's a little Bible. So people often ask me, like, what's your favorite book in the Bible? I have come to learn to say the Psalms, hands down. If I could have one book of the Bible, it would be well, I mean, you might have to throw a gospel in there, but um, outside of that, um, it might have to be the Psalms. And, and by the way, the New Testament would agree because the New Testament cites the Psalms more than any other Old Testament book. So these were precious to the early Christians. Uh, yeah, the Psalms are great. Okay, so we just read through Psalm 3, and it, it, this is a great starting point because we read this and we're like, how do you pray this? Some of it's like, oh, awesome. Like you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory, the lifter of my head. I cry loud to you and from your mountain, you hear me and you answer me. Like those, like, yeah, that's good. But then there's other parts like I lie down, sleep and I wait because you uphold me. Like, no, I actually just hit my head on the pillow and then my alarm woke me up, but okay. Um, and then, and then it just kind of gets like... <clears throat> strike my foes on the cheek and break their teeth. And you're like, I shall love my enemies. <laughs> you know, you're like, I don't actually, you feel like there's like cognitive dissonance, except not cognitive, but like cardiac dissonance <laughs> as you're praying the Psalm and you feel like you get heartburn about it. Um, but so we got to talk about this. How do you, how do you pray things like how many are my foes or uh, yeah, how many are my foes? Many are rising. Many are saying, Many, 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 like you're struck right away with like, this guy's overwhelmed and you're like, okay, I can relate to being overwhelmed, but I'm not usually overwhelmed by enemies. In fact, a lot of people just don't even really have enemies. And so you're like, how do I pray about that? Um, yeah, we already mentioned the whole lie down, sleep and wait, cause God upholds me. That's the reason I sleep and wake up. Cause he's upholding me. Uh, do I really want God to break the teeth of the wicked? Is that really a prayer? 
So this is a good example of why sometimes the Psalms are difficult to pray and why we don't know what to do with them. Um, But the Psalms are hard to pray when we ignore three perspectives. So I want to give us perspectives that will help us to pray the Psalms. And then we'll kind of see how some of these reflect here in Psalm 3 when we break it down. The first perspective we need is that the Psalms are dynamic. They are not static. They're dynamic, not static. What I mean is, I think we can come to a Psalm, especially like this one, and, oh, a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And then we kind of just feel like this psalm is statically stuck in the muck of history. And I need to, the prayer, needs to somehow pull this psalm out of that muck and make it fit into my life somehow. Like, somehow this has got to address my issues. Um, it's actually, so that's a static viewpoint of the psalms. It's just kind of there, and we have to raise it up and bring life to it in our own lives. Uh, it's the converse is true. The Psalms are dynamic. They're the living ones. We are the ones who are stuck in the muck of a fallen world. And we're the ones who need to be pulled out of that by the Psalms and brought into their world and let them pluck our hearts and bring us to life. We need to be pulled into them, not pull them into us. So that's one of the common mistakes we make is that we kind of go about the Psalms from the wrong direction. Um, Because the Psalms are a drama. They're a drama. They're alive and well. In fact, there are voices speaking continuously in the Psalms, and the voices often speak one to another. Uh, just Let's just start with this. Every single Psalm itself is a conversation. I don't know if you've noticed that, but like, it's usually so easy to break down a Psalm into call and response because they were meant to be done such, because they're conversations. So this is why when we recite a Psalm in prayer, we will have the white line and then the colored line, because... Um, that's a conversation between God and his people. The psalm within itself has a conversation. Every line seems to mimic the line above it. That's the conversation. Mm-hmm. So you say, hello, and then it says, shalom. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's, it's addressing what was said, and it's, it's, it's repeating it to glorify it, to lift it up, to say it again in another beautiful way. Um, so sometimes it does that just by copying what was said, just in another way. Sometimes it extends what was said. Um, it just takes it further. Sometimes it opposes what was said to give you a little contrast. There's different ways that the conversation works, but every line itself is a communion. So that's one aspect of the drama. The other aspect of the drama is that there are voices all over the Psalms. And you'll know this from one Psalm to another. It's like, okay, here the Psalter is talking to God, but in this Psalm, it seems like God is talking to some significant person. We can't quite pin who he is. It's Christ. Um, and then at other times, we only know this from the New Testament perspective, but other times there's another voice talking to God, but it doesn't seem like it's the voice of the Psalter, of the psalmist. It's the, and that's what we find in the New Testament. It's the voice of Christ. Like Hebrews will say, like God said to his son, and then he will also cite another psalm and say, and, and the son said to the father. And so there, there's a conversation within the Psalms of voices, psalmist to God and God to the psalmist and God to the son and the son to God. And this is sometimes why you can't make sense of the Psalter without a Christological perspective, but I'm getting ahead of myself there. Um, so what happens then is when we pray the Psalms, you will sometimes feel disoriented because you're stepping into a drama that's ongoing. You're like, whoa, what's, 
but you learn to to enter into the dialogue and to become part of it. You be, simply become a member. You're not driving the ship of the psalm when you're praying it. And it's not driving you. You're coming into a community of voices. You're coming into a communion. Okay? Um, so it's dynamic. Now, does that make sense? Like, it's a, it's a moving thing. And like, the Lord of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Um, here's what Henry Patrick um, Reardon said uh, about this concept. He said, when I recite the lines of this psalm, he's talking about Psalm 18 here. When I recite the lines of Psalm 18, in short, its reference is not reduced to the things that happen to be going on in my individual life. Rather, I am playing, or I am playing a part, rather, in the larger and transforming drama of redemption. The paltry circumstances of my own existence are taken up through this prayer into the ongoing history of God's people. So as I pray a psalm, it it pulls me into the context of what God is doing in the world. That's what we mean. Like the psalm pulls us in. We don't pull the psalm into us. It pulls us into it. And now we're part of the conversation of God's story. We're being tuned to his song. That's one perspective. The Psalms need to be prayed as dynamic, not as static things that we kind of got to, come on, baby, get to life here. Um, second perspective, <clears throat> the Psalms are Christocentric, Christ-centered, not egocentric, self-centered. And that's actually, um, it sounds obvious when I say it, but it is a normal tendency to come to the Psalms and figure out how does this address me? How am I going to pray this? Uh, so we have to remember that the Psalms are not actually about us. The Psalms are about Christ. They are about Christ. David, we call the Psalms David's book. Jesus is David. He's the new David. All of this is pointing to him. Um, even the structure of the Psalms themselves point to Jesus. But that's a whole nother sermon, which we've done. You can go on the podcast and find it. Way back, what was it? Right after COVID, when we all come back from COVID, we started um, a few, we went through a few months of Psalms. Go back and listen to some of those, including Psalm 3. We covered it, but we're going to, we covered it from a very different angle than we're doing tonight. Um, so in the Psalms, we are actually walking and communing with Christ. This is why the Psalms are the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament is because they understand Christ is permeating the Psalms. Um, here's, here's what Jesus said about it himself in Luke 24, verse 44. He's been raised from the dead and he appears to his disciples in the room where they're at. And he says this to him. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. So everything about Jesus was in the Psalms needing to be fulfilled. He said that. He told the apostles to see the Psalms that way. And then the apostles taught the church to see the Psalms that way. We are expected to see Christ in the Psalms and to pray them in and through Christ. Not how does the Psalm apply to me? It's how does the Psalm draw me to Christ? That is the point of praying Psalms. Um, for, let's look at the first three, for example, because the first three are considered the introductory Psalms. (coughs) Excuse me. 
The first three are considered the introductory psalms, um, because you'll notice four is an evening psalm, and five is a morning psalm, and um, that's how the Jews started their time cycle, right? Evening, morning. So the first three, then, are setting the tone for the entirety of the Psalter. The first three deal with three themes that get repeated here and there throughout the Psalter. They're introducing the rhythms that you will find in these songs and these prayers, So Psalm 1, blessed is the man. Psalm 1 is about the man. What man? The man. Who's the man? It's a good guess. Who is the first man? (laughs) Adam. It's not a bad guess because Christ is the new Adam. So you just got ahead of me a little bit. That's all. Uh, It's the first Psalms about the man. Blessed is the man. Um, And it talks about him becoming like a tree when he meditates on scripture. Becoming like a tree planted by the waters, fruits burgeoning, leaves never withering, in season, out, like always in season, no out of season. And then there's a warning about the wicked. Well, this is, this is Adam. This is Adam in the garden. He's thriving when he obeys God. But when he disobeyed God, we shriveled, we died, we lost. So that's why we need the new man. Blessed is the man is us when we obey God's word, but it's also Christ who obeyed God's word. It's also Christ who is the tree of life to us. Um, the second theme is in Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. That word counsel, by the way, was up in verse 1 of Psalm 1. Uh, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Here we see their counsel. They take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, I'm going to summarize, let us rebel. Against his anointed. That is the Hebrew word, Mashiach, Messiah. Messiah is Christ. Christ is the Greek form of Messiah, Hebrew. This is literally saying, the second Psalm, the theme is the Messiah. This is now what we've gone is from Adam in Psalm 1 to David in Psalm 2. David was the first so-called Messiah, little m, Messiah. He was an anointed, chosen by God to rule the people. Jesus just becomes the greater and best and newest and ultimate David. Um, So here we come to the Messiah. And so the Messiah is going to be a huge theme. The king will come up in the Psalms often. But we have to understand that we now have a greater David. There is one king, and it's Christ. And you'll start to see Christ is chock full in the Psalms, including Psalm 2. This is really a Psalm about him taking his kingdom. Um, but we don't, we're not going to take the time to go through Psalm 2. And then Psalm 3. Psalm 3 is about the suffering servant or the just man who unjustly suffers. He's persecuted. And so that gets introduced right away. Uh, and that suffering servant is Jesus who comes and suffers on our behalf. There are lots of moaning and wailing in the Psalms. Jesus took all that sorrow upon himself for our sake. And so um, that's reading the Psalms Christocentric rather than egocentric. So the third perspective in order to pray the Psalms is that the Psalms are spiritual. We pray them as spiritual, not as literal. Now, this is really hard for... Um, for us when we are in Bible study mode or student mode, because we want to, you know, dissect the Psalms in their historical context and blah, blah, blah. Um, that, that is not how you pray a Psalm. That is going to wreck how you pray a Psalm. Like, well, this was David's situation. I don't know how I prayed David's situation. Like Jesus, 
never intended us to look at the psalm like that. I mean, yeah, for study's sake, understanding like the cold contours of the Bible, but the psalms are also prayers. And that means you have to pray them spiritually. Um, so, for example, when you pray, um, when Israel shows up in the Bible, we understand that Paul says that we were grafted into Israel. So when we see Israel pop up, we're praying about God's people, not specifically the the race of the Jews or Israel, the nation. We're praying for the people of God whom he has made uh, included the Gentiles into. Um, when we when we see words like um, enemies, like we see all over here, enemies. Um, again, this is spiritual. This isn't physical. These are referring to those forces, demons, or let's just say sin, the sin which wants to wreak havoc on your soul. The devil hates us. Jesus told Peter, the devil's asked me to sift you like wheat. Uh, Peter, taking learning from that experience, wrote in his epistle in 1 Peter 5 that he's a roaring lion seeking to devour you. So be sober, be digil, be, be vigilant and digil, diligent. Um, <laughs> those are hard words to put together. Wake up because he is after you. We all have enemies. Okay, so you don't have to pray Psalm 3 and think about, man, who's that person I have a hard time forgiving? Or who's that person who said some jerk thing about my picture on Instagram or whatever? Like, enemies are real. Those are just like, those enemies, we're going to forget about that in a thousand years in heaven anyways. So um, these are real enemies. We are all besieged by these enemies. That's how you pray the Psalms. Um, another one, like example in Psalm 3, how do you pray, break the teeth of the wicked, Lord? Because there are enemies. These are enemies that we are meant to resist. There is one enemy God is okay with us saying, down with you. Be gone, Satan. He wasn't all nice to him. Like, maybe we'll convert you. I, 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 I got to love my enemy here. He just, you are evil itself. And, and, and the breaking the teeth of the wicked, if you think about it, um, to break the teeth means you're smashing the skull, which is an echo to Psalm uh, Genesis 3, verse 15. That, that first prophecy, that there will be offspring of the serpent and offspring of the woman, and the offspring will bite the heel of the woman's offspring, but the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. And, and you find throughout the Psalms, actually, there's going to be a lot of head crushing, because that's what it's playing on, is the ultimate fall of the devil, his ultimate demise. This is how we pray a Psalm like Psalm 3. So... I almost feel like I should ask if people have questions. We don't normally do that in sermons, but if you do, please go ahead because I'm going to move on. Too late. Okay. <laughs> so Psalm 3. Um, let's just color it real quick. So obviously this guy feels besieged. I love in the ESV of many three times each line. How many are my foes? Many are rising. Many are saying of my soul. Uh, the same in, in this Abbey translation. How many? Actually, the first word of each line is how many, how many, how many. It's so much even more cleaner. And you just get the sense of being overwhelmed. Um, that's, that's what he's going on. And then we see that there are lies. There, he's dealing with his, this head battle, these thoughts. There's no salvation for him and God. Have you ever experienced that? This is what happens. The enemy lies to us. This is something we deal with. The Psalms combating the spiritual warfare. And then after that, we have the word Selah. A lot of people don't know what to do with Selah. You might have already guessed what I do with Selah. Um, I got it from, uh, not Jordan Peterson, James Jordan. 
Yeah, you knew as soon as it said James Peterson. Um, Jordan Peterson, whatever. Yeah, yeah, James Jordan. Who, who, what's his name again? James Jordan. James Jordan. There you go. Uh, he, um, he set a lot of the Psalms to music for his church. And um, I can't read music, so I don't know how to deal with what he did. But um, Tyler gave me the little hymnal. And in his intro, he talks about the Selahs. And he says that um, Selah may mean go back up. So what it means is, um, re- he interprets that to mean pray the first verse again. So when you come to, how many are saying about me there's no salvation for him in God, say law means go back to how many are my foes, O Lord, how many are rising up against me. And so what that creates is in some Psalms, because not all Psalms have say laws, but um, it creates a little refrain, a little place for the heart to go hang itself up on again. Um, so that's that's the way I interpret say laws. If you want to use that in your own praying of the Psalms, go back up and pray verse one and then go back to where you left off. So it's just like a refrain, a shorthand for it. Um, so then we come to, um, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. So he's acknowledging that, okay, I am besieged, but he has besieged me first. He's the shield all around me. I am safe in the castle of his strength. Uh, my glory, the lifter of my head. Shields were often emblemed with um, your your um, general sometimes, not even just your country, but sometimes your general. Uh, so people like knew which flank was which and such. And um, the, the shield was a symbol of glory. Uh, in fact, when you would defeat you know, enemies, you would hang their shields, right? We, we read about in the Kings that there were shields hung in the temple in Jerusalem. Shields were not just protection, they were glory. And this is what God is to us. He's our emblem. He's our protector. Um, I cried aloud to the Lord yeah, with the lifter of my head. So we can feel very down, especially when we're hearing the lies of the enemy. God doesn't care. He will not deliver you. He's given up on you. You're hopeless. The head can fall, but he's the lifter of my head. And so the psalm is turning us to the Lord. Um, okay, so then he talks about um, finding comfort. Because when you're in the middle of battle, it's hard to lay down and sleep. When you're in the middle of battle, you could die in your sleep. So he's praising God for sustaining him through falling asleep and waking up. Um, and he will not fear, even if thousands besiege him. So coming back to that original theme, the how many... If, even if he's surrounded, because why? He's got God as his shield. And then there's the desperate prayer at the end. Arise, O Lord, saving my God. You strike my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Uh, we've covered that um, already. Um, so, <laughs> salvation belongs to the Lord's at the end. This is, as we've seen with the introductory psalms, Psalm 3 is the first actual petition psalm. The first one's actually making requests of God. The first one's teaching us how to live. The second one is telling us there's a king and you should respect him or you're going to be on the wrong side of history. And then the third one is actually now, okay, Lord, help. It's, a, it's the first proper petition. So um, here's what I want to do with this. Um, we're going to finish by just asking three questions about the psalm. And you will be familiar with this, William. What does this psalm teach us about God? And what does this psalm teach us about ourselves? And then what does this psalm teach us about prayer? So what does this psalm teach us about God? It teaches us first, you could probably pull a lot more, but I try to keep these, you know, briefer than they already are. So um, the first is that Christ is our salvation. You not I didn't say God, I said Christ. Christ is our salvation. Um, <coughs> because in Psalm 3... We progress from Adam, 
Adam in Psalm 1, to David, that was Psalm 2, to Jesus in Psalm 3. Not only the suffering servant, but actually the name Jesus is here in this psalm. The word salvation at the very end. Salvation belongs to the Lord. First time salvation is used in the Psalter. Right there, salvation. Do you remember what the angel said in Matthew 1? You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Salvation in Hebrew is Yeshua. It's Joshua in English. It's Jesus in Greek. Um, well, anglicized Greek, but yeah. Um, so Yeshua is right here in this psalm. Yeshua is of the Lord, or Yeshua belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So we go from Adam to David to Jesus. So what we are seeing in the psalm is that Christ himself is our salvation. He's the one who answers our plight. Um, second thing we learn about God here is, again, Christ. Christ is our resurrection and our life. He's our resurrection and our life. Um, when it says there in verse 5, I lay down and slept, I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Sleep in the Psalms is not always necessarily going to bed. In Psalm 13, it's going to use the word sleep as a synonym for death. In the Kings and Chronicles, uh, you'll see often this king died and he slept with his fathers. Um, sleep is a euphemism for death often in the Bible. And while, um, you know, it may mean physical sleep here, it doesn't matter because um, <coughs> what we realize is that sleep is always a miniature death. We are completely out of control. We are completely vulnerable. And worse yet is when you sleep, you stop praying. It is the one time in your life when you don't get to pray. And so, and it's like, what, half of our lives? Well, most of us don't sleep enough, but it should be about half of our lives, right? Whoa, suddenly we see why this psalmist is so like thankful to God. Like I slept and I woke. And, and the Christians from early on always talked about evenings are a time for remembering our death and mornings are a time for remembering the resurrection of Christ because we live a daily pattern of death and resurrection. And so not only does sleep often connote the idea of death, but um, it, here we have also the theme of coming back to life. And this is why there's gratitude to God. So what we see here is that Christ is the one who is our resurrection in our life. We might feel like we're dying in the midst of our situations and the foes and and we are being strangled. But the one who defeated death can defeat these foes. Easy. No problem. This psalm is teaching us to flee directly to the shelter and power of Christ. Um, Okay. So then what does this psalm teach us about ourselves? Again, I have two points. No, I, this one has three. First, we are persecuted every day. We are persecuted every day. The same enemy who pursued David, Absalom pursued David, is the same enemy who pursued Christ to the cross. And that's the same enemy who pursues us now. Right? The, the devil was working through Absalom to pursue David. And Jesus, the new David, he was pursued too by the foe. Um, of course he let him, but, um, and then we too, we are pursued by the same foe. So we learn that we are persecuted every day. So persecution is not just what other humans do to the Christians. It's what the devils do to the Christians. Um, and we learn this every day because here he's talking about lying down and waking up. This psalmist's daily context is I wake up in war. 
I wake up persecuted. I wake up needing God. We are persecuted every day. That's what we learn about ourselves. Um, (coughs) When we meditate on God's word in Psalm 1, and when we adore the Messiah in Psalm 2, you can expect persecution in Psalm 3. It's a pattern. You do what God says and you worship him, you will be persecuted. Boom. Okay. Guarantee. Have fun. Good thing we get a psalm right at the front that tells us how to deal with this, that gives us words to plead to God, that gives us a way to enter into this new world of, it's okay, it's okay. Um, All right, Um, so we are persecuted every day. Second, we are lied to every day. I already alluded to it, but we are lied to every day. There is no salvation for him and God. Many are saying that to him. There's no salvation for you and God. Man, you okay? We may not always have mind games, right? Mental things that are coming from devils. Like we, we don't even exactly know how that works. Um, I do believe that they can put crazy thoughts in our heads. Because like I'm like I did not come up with that. I don't know where that came from. Oh, I got to deal with it now that it's there. Um, but that's spiritual warfare. That's spiritual. Warfare. That's just what we deal with. But we're lied to every day through other creative ways that the enemy's at work. We're lied to on the television. We're lied to in advertisements. We're lied to by our friends and peers. We're lied to by our authorities. And they're not always wicked, cruel lies. Sometimes they're just little, like, slightly off kilters. And then we start to adopt this viewpoint. We're lied to every day, and we need to understand that. Uh, The third is that we need Jesus' salvation every day. So because of this, we need his salvation every day. You're waking up in spiritual warfare. You're waking up in a world where your soul is hunted. And apart from Christ's protection, you'd be living under the passions with their fangs ripping into you for the rest of your life. That's where you would be. We need Jesus' salvation every day. So when you wake up, this is a great psalm to pray. Because it's not about I was saved from my sins on the cross. It's about I still need to be saved because the enemy is at work in my life. So we need this prayer every single day. Not that you have to pray it every day. You know, there's other ways to pray for God's salvation in your life. But it's a a psalm that shows us a good way to pray. Um, All right. So then our last angle on this psalm, we've seen what it tells us about God, specifically Christ. It tells us about ourselves and how much we need Christ. Um, How does the psalm teach us to pray? The psalm teaches us to pray, or excuse me, the psalm teaches us that prayer is the way we engage in spiritual warfare. The battle's real. How do we take up our weapons? Prayer. Prayer is what we do. Prayer is our counterattack to the devil's attack. Prayer will help us not to slip. Prayer will help us to see more clearly what's going on. I don't know if you've noticed this before in your life, but when you pray, you become more aware of the random thoughts that you usually listen to. But in prayer, you realize that the foreignness of them, because when you're in the presence of God, you're like, these things don't belong here. Um, Prayer teaches us how to do battle. We already know that, that the battle is spiritual, not physical. Uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 verse 12 that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's our battle. It's the cosmic demonic realm. That's the war. 
Prayer is how we attack that. You can't see it, you can't touch it, but you can pray against it. And you better believe that anytime you are in prayer, oh man, you're driving them crazy because they can't get you to sin when you're truly in prayer. You are in God's presence and untouched. You know, if you, you know, thoughts can come into your head, but you can, if you're truly praying, those thoughts will just bing because you're so focused on Christ in prayer. Yeah. Um, Psalm 3 is a prayer for those who resist sin and the devil. You will not ever get how to pray Psalm 3 and many other Psalms if you are not in active resistance against sin and the devil. If we just kind of cruise through the Christian life, Psalm 3 seems really melodramatic, doesn't it? Here's what, again, Patrick Henry Reardon said about uh, this psalm itself. He says, This is not a prayer book for the non-combatant. And unless a person is actually engaged in hostilities, it is difficult to see how he can pray Psalm 3. Like this psalm makes no sense at all if you're not aware of the battle you're in. He continues, to relinquish, to relinquish any one of the Psalms on the excuse that its sentiments are too violent for a Christian is a clear sign that a person has also given up the very battle that a Christian is summoned from his bed to fight. The Psalms are prayers for those engaged in an ongoing spiritual conflict. No one else need even opening the book. That sums it up. So, prayer is our counterattack against the persecution and counsels of our enemy. Prayer provides a shield of protection about us. Those truly in prayer cannot sin, but sleep renders prayer impossible. This, by the way, is why the monks were obsessed with trying to stay awake. That's why. Here are matches for impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Siri, you think you're prayer now. Okay. Yeah, sleep renders prayer impossible, but we see Christ's aid even in sleeping and rising. Like, that's just how intimate it goes, like the need we have for Christ. So, in life, we come face to face with our enemy on a daily, constant basis. But when we pray the Psalms, we come face to face with Christ, our salvation, whenever we enter So, who's going to pluck the strings of your heart? The enemy or Christ? Whose instrument will we be? The Psalms present themselves as a ready weapon against the enemy's designs and to make us into living instruments of the heavenly song of Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us. For you are good and you love mankind. Amen.